But today our mind and heart is right here and right here on the messages that God has given us. We're looking in the Gospel of Mark and a message today, we never saw anything like this. Mark chapter 2 and verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You know, uh, Mark's gospel was written uh, to a people in the midst of a growing chaos. Uh, it was an international chaos in a sense because Rome was ruling most of the civilized world. The Judean revolt had already begun and that was going to spread and, and erupt into all-out war. There was all kinds of things happening in the culture. And Mark wrote this then to those people in such a disturbing time to remind them of all the things that Jesus Christ has done or to inform them about the things that God has done. You see, we could be on either side of that story. We might be that person who just really doesn't know who Jesus is and what he has done. Or we might be on the other side. We've known, and maybe we've known a long time, and the stories that are recorded for us about the life of Jesus Christ in the book of Mark, they're not new to us. We've heard them. We've studied them. But you know, Simon Peter said that he wanted to stir people up by putting them in remembrance. And I'm here to tell you today, we never outgrow our need to be stirred up. There are times when we tend to settle down spiritually and we need to stir ourselves up. What does that? It is the truth about who Jesus is, the truth about what he has done and what he's doing. So it's not that we're getting all new information. Uh, it's that we're being reminded about it. And nothing stirs our soul like remembering all the glorious things that Jesus Christ has done for us. And so as we go through Mark's gospel over the next few weeks, I'm praying that God would use this to stir us up in a positive and spiritual way. My brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we get stirred up sometimes about the wrong things. Just watch the news. It's like all they're doing anymore is just trying to stir us up. Y'all ever get that feeling? I just about quit watching it. If, if something important, important happens in the world, somebody please call me because chances are I'm not, I'm not even going to know what's going on. I'm just so put out with them because they're just trying to stir us up all the time and keep us stirred up. And not only us, but people in the world as well. But listen, we need to get stirred up in a good way, in a positive way, and nothing stirs our soul like remembering the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. In today's message, we're going to be looking actually at two miracles that Jesus performed of physical and spiritual healing. Now, Mark began his discussion of the miracle-working ministry of Jesus by talking about him casting out demon spirits. And in fact, we'll see that all throughout the book and all throughout the Gospels. There were just demons everywhere. Jesus uh, seemed to come into a world that was infested with them. The apostles encountered them everywhere as well. Mark has also already told us that he healed many, many of all kinds of diseases. But here in our text, Mark is going to single out two specific instances of people who were healed. 
In both cases, this, brothers and sisters, is like a miracle with a message. There's a message in the miracle. And you'll see them as we go through them. The first one is about what we'll call the hopeless. A miracle for the hopeless. It's in verse 40 of chapter 1. Now a leper came to him imploring him. Kneeling down to him and saying to him. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion. Stretched forth his hand and touched him. And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. There are a few more chilling words in the human language and they chill our souls so deeply that we seldom say them. But we often know them. I'm sorry, there's no hope. There's nothing we can do. Some accidents cause too much damage. Some wounds are too traumatic. Some cancer has spread too far. Some strokes hit that part of the brain that controls our vital organs. Sometimes, yes, things happen to us and there is some hope, however small, for recovery. But other times there's none. Sometimes people are promised a few weeks, maybe a few months. Sometimes they don't even get hours or minutes. I'm sorry. There's no hope. I bring that up this morning because leprosy was a hopeless disease. Person diagnosed with leprosy was placed in permanent quarantine. In those dark, complected Middle Eastern people, leprosy generally showed up as a patch of whiteness on their skin. And they would go to the priests who were trained to diagnose it. It would spread then rapidly and cause intense nerve damage so that it would start at their extremities, uh, fingers and toes and noses, and, and, and then spread throughout the body as they would lose uh, any sense of feeling whatsoever. Of course, you know what happened. They'd, they'd, they'd burn their fingers and not know it. They'd burn their faces or get frostbitten and not know it. They'd step on things and wound themselves before long. They were losing fingers and toes to infection, feet. It was a horrible way to live and it was a horrible way to die. When they were diagnosed with leprosy, they were forbidden from being around people. Their houses were to be burned. Uh, their furniture, uh, extra clothing was all destroyed. Physical contact with other people was strictly forbidden. We, we learned a little bit about this over the last year with the pandemic. <coughs> we learned about where physical contact was forbidden. Can't shake hands, can't hug, can't be around people. Anything touched with others had to be sanitized. But think of facing something like that with no sanitizing solutions, no Germex, no Lysol, no disinfectants at all, and worst of all, no vaccine and no cure. Leprosy was only going one direction. It was going to get worse and worse until they died. Our text then records a leper coming to Jesus, a hopeless man. 
no hope ever of being anything different than what he was. But the Bible tells us that he came to Jesus and got on his knees before him, bowing before him in that obvious place of faith and worship. We see this over and over again in the gospel accounts where Jesus recognized the faith of those people who were coming to him. You see, it would do no good for a person to be healed of leprosy or of any other illness only to die in their sins and go to hell forever. And so Jesus over and over again emphasized the faith of these people. Now, the modern faith movement, faith healing movement has seized upon that uh, to try to make it as if somebody uh, somehow has to have the faith to be healed. They're missing the point. What Jesus was seeing was that these people believed on him. That's what that leper was professing when he came and bowed before Jesus Christ. And he said what? Lord, if you will... I can be clean. What did he say? Lord, I'm putting this in your hands. This is all about your will. If you will, I know that I can be clean. And Jesus did an amazing thing. He put his hand on that man. and touched him. Nobody touched a leper. I can almost see when Mark's gospel was read in that first century audience, you could almost hear the gasps. He touched him. If we was honest, we had a little trouble (laughs) that first time we tried to shake hands with somebody after a year of quarantine. It, It gave us a little trouble. First time we went, somebody come up, I don't, I don't. This was way more than that, folks. This was leprosy. Its primary means of communication was through physical contact. Nobody, nobody touched a leper. But Jesus did. First time anybody had touched that man for a long time, no doubt. But it wasn't the touch that healed the man. Other miracles, you know, were done that way. We think about that woman that just touched the hem of his garment, had an issue of blood for all those years, and was immediately healed. Just the touch of Jesus, but not this one. Jesus touched him, but that didn't heal him. Jesus said, I am willing. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus Christ is willing? To clean up sinful people, hopeless people. He is willing. God's not willing that any should perish, he said, but that all should come to repentance. I am willing, he said. Be cleansed. And it was not the touch of Jesus. It was the word of Jesus that Mark so specifically draws attention to in this passage. When he said that word, be cleansed immediately, Mark says, the leprosy left him when Jesus told it to We saw him speak to demons, and the demons left. Now he's speaking even to leprosy. And leprosy did what Jesus told it to do. We have no far, no idea rather, how far the leprosy had spread. We don't know how much damage it had been done or how long this man had been a leper, but however far it was advanced, however much damage it had been done, this man was immediately and completely and totally healed 
Jesus then commanded him to go straight to the priests who were trained to diagnose leprosy and had diagnosed it in him. And again, we identify with that. We know what it's like to be tested before you can go be around people. And that was the law. That's what the law required. You had to be uh, to go back uh, to the priest. You see, uh, there were other things beside leprosy that would cause that whiting of the skin, other, other diseases that might not turn out to be leprosy. Uh, they weren't often wrong, but they were occasionally wrong. Uh, you know, maybe they just got poison ivy or something and got a real bad case. I, I don't know. A lot of things could have caused it. And maybe the priest would have misdiagnosed it and after a few months they'd come back and they'd say, yeah, it, it's all gone. They'd check them out. Yeah, you're clean. Everything's good. And they would offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and they were free then to return to their life. It didn't happen often because these priests were good at what they did. They knew leprosy when they saw it. But occasionally they'd get it wrong. And so the law made a provision. Go back to the priest. Show yourself. If everything's fine, they'll check you out then you can offer up a sacrifice and be free to resume your life. And that's exactly what Jesus told this man to do. But you see, there was no doubt about his condition. He was a leper. He was obviously a leper. Everyone knew that he was a leper. And that has me inclined to believe that this was indeed a case that had advanced as leprosy so often does. So that you see the hideous uh, uh, disfiguration of their face and, and the loss of fingers and toes and and all the terrible, terrible things that went along with that awful disease. <laughs> but now, hey, this man's not a leper anymore. Go show yourself to the priest. Offer the offering as Moses commanded. And then be free to go on and rejoin your life. But, in verse 45, the Bible says, However, this man went out and began to proclaim it freely. <laughs> Imagine that. And to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city and was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. You see, the result of this would have been inevitable. You couldn't put a bottle uh, top on this one and seal it up and keep it, keep it inside. No, this one was going to be known. This man was a leper and he had been immediately, instantaneously, completely healed of his leprosy by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was going to get out. It was going to be known. And Jesus certainly knew that. Uh, this miraculous ministry of Jesus couldn't be hid. We'd already seen that back in Mark chapter 1 and verse 34 when he had performed those miracles and cast out the demons and, and the whole city then gathered outside of his house. But the message of this miracle, according to Jesus, was directed toward a specific group of people, the priests. The priests. Over and over, the priests had pronounced the verdict on who knows how many lepers you have it. There's no hope and there's no cure. We see these priests then supervising the destruction of their property, the enforcement of a quarantine on anyone who had contact with them to make sure that they didn't have them. The careful instructions then for the lepers to avoid any physical contact. They'd done this over and over and over and over again. All the way back in the days of Elisha and Naaman the Syrian. When the Bible says there were many lepers in Israel that weren't healed. Except for Naaman the Syrian. And Elisha had come. And these priests then would recognize that a prophet was among them. 
Listen, don't forget that Jesus was indeed prophet. In fact, the Messiah would bring together all three of the leadership offices in Israel. They'd combine them all in a way that only the Messiah could. He would be both prophet, priest, and, and king. And the first part of that that they'd recognize was that he was a prophet. He'd be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He'd be the king because he's the son of David. But the first they'd see was that he's a prophet. Jesus would ask him, what did you go out in the wilderness to see a prophet? Yes, they said more than a prophet. You see, they went out to see the one that the prophet John the Baptist told them was coming. They would recognize that these again were indeed, as God had said, the days of Elijah and Elisha returning to them. They would see then through the healing of this miracle a mighty testament to the appearance of the Messiah. But, but that, that didn't happen. This, no, I'm, I'm sure the guy probably ended up going to the priest eventually. But Jesus said, you go there first. You follow the rules. Follow the order. Do what the law tells you to do. What a testimony that could have been. But the testimony would still get through. And not only them, but many, many others would see that Jesus gave hope to the hopeless. Then there's a second miracle. The miracle from which I read earlier in our text. The miracle for what we'll call the helpless, the miracle for the hopeless, the leper. Now the miracle for the helpless. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd... They uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's an incredible story. Remember that the beds in Bible times were not four-post beds or even cots like we think of. They were what we'd call a pallet for the most part. A heavy blanket, a thick blanket. Uh, the houses were made of stone. The roofs uh, were made of a rough-hewn uh, wooden support that would be placed along them, and palm branches uh, placed thickly on top of that usually. And then they were packed down with hard-pressed clay that they'd roll over and, and put layer after layer after layer over that and hardened it uh, in the Palestinian sun, and, and it, it would provide a very good roof for them. Most of their roofs were, roofs were uh, kind of flat, or at least very low-pitched, and the Bible talks often about people going up on the housetop. This was a place where they would go, they would eat, they'd have steps going up on the house. They'd spend a lot of time up on the housetop. Mild climate, uh, nice ocean breezes coming in. It's a great place to hang out. They'd eat up there, they'd take naps up there. Uh, you'll see it over and over again in the Bible, people talking about being up on the house. So uh, stone houses, flat roofs, made of clay. These people try to get there with this man carrying this paralyzed man. Now, we don't know why he was paralyzed. The Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, we just know he's paralyzed. Was he quadriplegic? We don't know. He could have had a neck injury, spine injury, could have had a stroke. 
there are illnesses that call it. Could have been cerebral palsy, for example, that has it. Uh, various kinds of things that cause paralysis. Uh, some of them temporary. Most of them are permanent. We don't know what happened to this guy except that he's paralyzed and he's obviously unable to walk. We got then these guys carrying him uh, by the four corners of that blanket. Uh, ask any nurse about how you carry around a patient on a blanket. They can tell you about how they move them, pick them up. It, it, it's amazing. They know how to do it. And, and these people were doing it. They were carrying him, four of them. Uh, they were carrying him in that blanket. They tried to get in the house, couldn't get in the house. The people wouldn't get out of the way. And so they went up on the roof and, and began to tear it down. Isn't it a sad story that these guys were trying to get this man to Jesus and nobody would let him through? You'd think they could have said, excuse me, and we need to get in here and say, Jesus, got a sick guy here. You'd think they'd let him in. <laughs> if you've ever been around a crowded Baptist church, you know that people don't always move. Hey, we can laugh or we can cry about it. Either one, both of them are appropriate. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can ever do in our life is say to somebody here, take my seat. Oh, I, I, listen, I'm praying all the time. Uh, that God will fill our church back up, not just once, but twice. Uh, I really am. I'm praying for it. I'm, I'm holding out for it and hoping for it. Uh, that God's going to keep sending us people, and, and we'll get crowded again, and we'll be having to talk to you and preach to you about, hey, you know, be sure and let people in and, and, and make some room for somebody else. You say, well, this is my seat. Yeah, that's the, that, that's the attitude those people had that day. Here's a lost, hurting guy trying to get in, couldn't get in. Well, they just didn't stop. They went up on the roof, started tearing a hole in things. That kind of interrupted the service a little bit. What's going on up there? What's all that banging? Knocking around, hey, we just had birds up there a few weeks ago, and y'all was all freaking out about the birds. They're tearing a hole in the roof. What are y'all doing? Hey, we got a sick guy. We're going to let him down. They'd already stopped the service. I don't know if they got a hold of ropes, if they were able to let him down on ropes, or whether finally somebody stepped up and, and said, here, we'll help you. Let him down. We'll get him from this side. I don't know how they got him down, but they got him through the roof, got him down. And Jesus said an amazing thing. He saw their faith. Whose faith? The faith of five men. One of them was the helpless man. But thank God he had four friends who would bring him to Jesus. Jesus saw their faith, the faith of those four men and the one man who was in need. And what did he say to him? Your sins be forgiven. Well, the scribes were immediately offended by that. Verse 6, that's the religious leaders of the day. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, saying, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were absolutely right. <laughs> Only God can forgive sins. Amen? You know why? Only the sin E can forgive the sinner. Every sin we ever commit is a sin against Almighty God. Only God can forgive sins. 
He's the only one who has the means. He's the one, ultimately, that all sins are, are sinned against. He is the one that has to pay the price for forgiveness. Who can forgive sins except God alone? So when Jesus perceived in his spirit, verse 8, that they were reasoning in this way, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart, which is easier to say the paralytic your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus started with the man's greatest need. Every person on this planet needs more than anything else. They need the forgiveness of sins. They need their sins forgiven. Nobody needs anything more than they need that. They need their sins forgiven. We might ask ourselves the question then, why, why were this man's sins forgiven? Why would Jesus say to him, your sins are forgiven you? Well, Paul would later preach in Acts chapter 13 and verse 38. He said, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone, everyone, Everyone who believes is justified, that means declared righteous from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Remember, the text very clearly said, he saw their faith. And because they believed then, he would say to them, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want you to know this morning, Jesus Christ is not standing right here. We can't see him. He's not, uh, I'm not going to tell you he's not here because he is. Uh, I'm just saying that we can't see him with these eyes. But I want you to know that the same Jesus who said to this man, your sins be forgiven because he believed on him, has said the exact same thing to you, that whosoever believeth on me should not perish but have everlasting life, that if you believe, Paul said, that all who believe are, are justified, are forgiven of all of your sins. And the same Jesus who said that long ago is still saying that today. Your sins be forgiven you. Remember, I've told you the most important thing that can ever happen to you in your life is for you to receive the forgiveness of sins. And it is freely available to you if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Him as your Savior. This man then got his sins forgiven and his body restored. Jesus said when they uh, got on to him about saying your sins are forgiven. He said, well, I've, I've, I've done that because that's the most important part. It was to him the easiest thing to say. But just so you'll know how powerful this word is and that this is indeed true. He then said to this man, arise and take up your bed and go home. Uh, Jesus, do you not know this guy's paralyzed? Oh, no, wait a minute. He can't walk. Yes, he can. <laughs> he can because when Jesus said, Arise and take up your bed and walk, lo and behold, he could. And he did. 
You see, we see that over and over again in the Scripture, the power of the Word. We saw it emphasized with the leper. He wasn't healed when Jesus laid hands on him. He was healed when Jesus spoke to him. And now we have him again. Jesus speaking the Word to him. Arise, take up your bed and walk. And lo and behold, what he couldn't do before, now he can. We need to remember that God will never tell us to do one single thing without giving us the ability to do what he's told us to do. You say, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, tell me about old Moses, how he said, you know, I can't talk. Huh, I can't talk good. God said, well, do tell. I didn't know. God said, who made your mouth? Yeah, I love that. I preached that last week at camp. Who, who, who made your mouth? God said, I did. And Stephen's talking about Moses in Acts chapter 7. He said to him, Moses was a man mighty in words indeed. You see, God does that all the time. All over the scriptures, God calls things that are not as though they are. Here's a man who couldn't walk, was absolutely paralyzed. Jesus told him to do what? Get up and walk. And lo and behold, with that power, with that word, came the power to obey that word. That is the incredible nature of the power of the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And he did. Jesus told him to go home to his house. I promise you, if it had been me there that day, I would have said, now, son, you need to sit down there for a few minutes until I get through preaching, and then you can go home. <laughs> Not Jesus. He said, no, you, you arise, and you go home right now. And immediately he did. He immediately got up, made his bed, rolled it up, took it home, and everybody saw him walking out. But then he went home. Why did he send him home? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us why that we sent him home, and, but I, I think it's obvious. There were people there who needed to see that this man was walking. Nobody needed to see it more than the people he left at home. Maybe it was his mama that had seen their boy, had seen her boy uh, get paralyzed and, and had seen him struggle all those years with paralysis. Maybe it was a dad that saw his precious son, uh, that so many hopes and so many dreams, and he saw them all shattered, and, and, and now he's paralyzed and helpless, but now he's walking. Maybe it was a wife who saw that happen to her husband. Maybe it was children who saw it happen to their dad. I don't know, but there was a house full of people at this man's home that needed to see that he's not helpless anymore because the power of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ had changed him forever. Sin's forgiven. Sin's forgiven. And body healed. You know, not everybody who gets saved gets a healed body. Sometimes we were saved when our body was messed up. Sometimes our body gets messed up afterwards, but sooner or later it all gets messed up. And just because we're saved, it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to always miraculously heal us. But I'm here today to tell you something. It is the promise of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that every single one of us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be made absolutely, totally, 100% whole. We will be healed of whatever is wrong with us. Listen, we're not going to limp all over glory with our bad knee and our bad ankle. We're not going to uh, be walking around with our hands all drawn up in arthritis. We're not going to be feeling the pains of our cancer. We're not going to be numb with our strokes. Whatever's wrong with us, listen, we're going to get a glorified body 
body. Jesus is going to heal every one of us. Not only spiritually of our sins, but physically. You say, well, Brother Rich, how do you know that? I'm so glad you asked. Philippians 3.20. I didn't make it up. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Folks, we're going to get a new body. Jesus may, He does sometimes, save people and Heal them. He does that sometimes. It was rare in Bible times. It's still rare today. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not only going to get complete spiritual forgiveness to become a new creation in Jesus Christ, but you're also going to get a new body. That's going to happen. I liked what that great old Bible preacher, Adrian Rogers, once said about this story. He said there were four kinds of people demonstrated here. First of all, of course, there's the helpless man. We identified him ourselves, the man on the bed. And he said the second kind of people that were identified in the story, he called the hinderers. The hinderers. People who wouldn't get out of the way to let that helpless man through to get to Jesus. Then he said there were the hellish people. Those were the critics. Criticized everything that Jesus was saying and doing. They always had something bad to say. Never saw anything good, only bad. The hellish people, the critics and criticized but thank God there was the fourth group the helpers (laughs) those men that helped this helpless man get to Jesus all of us started out our spiritual journey on the helpless side because we were all sinners and there was absolutely nothing we could do to help ourselves thank God Thank God Almighty, there's one above us, not within us. The help's not from within. The help comes from above. The Bible says you have to be born from above. Thank God, there is the help from above us. That in our helplessness, He can deal with our sin. He can do for us just like He did for that helpless man. We're all helpless. God help us. We don't need to be hinderers. And we don't need to cultivate that hellish attitude where we're always complaining and always criticizing. We need to be the helpers. Amen. Wouldn't that be a great commitment for us to make today? I want to be a helper. I want to be that person who is helping somebody else get to Jesus. And at the end of the day, they said that amazing thing. We never did see anything like this before. (laughs) 
Now, they'd seen people healed before, but they'd never really made the connection between somebody's sins being forgiven and, and them being healed. They, they didn't really realize. I mean, they were so caught up in, in just getting uh, what was wrong with them fixed. And, and, man, I'm sick and I need to be whole. I'm, 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 I'm crippled and I need to be able to walk. I, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up and I need to be fixed. That, that's all they could think about. They weren't making that connection that more than they needed anything else, they needed their sins forgiven. <laughs> We've never seen this before. But aren't you glad our God can do new things? Do things in different ways maybe than we'd ever seen it before. Now I understand there's a mantra that was uh, kind of put down about Baptists and babies some years ago. They said that the only thing that likes a change is a wet diaper, or is a baby with a wet diaper. Uh, but uh, let me say that again since I messed it up. The only thing that likes a change is a baby with a wet diaper. But you know, I'll raise five of those babies and not one of them even like to have their diaper changed. We don't like change. I understand. But we serve a God who changes things up every now and then. And it's good for us because we need to understand that God can do different things. Jesus was preaching to a group of people who would die and go to hell because they did not believe that God could do anything new. They couldn't Hang on to the fact, couldn't get a hold of the fact that God was doing something new. That the old was going to go away and the new was going to come. But here's a group of people that said, well, we never did see anything like this before, but it sure is pretty good. Oh, Fanny Crosby, that great theologian, probably said it best. He doeth all things well. But the emphasis on sometimes our, our temporal needs and our sickness and all these things is, is a problem for us. We always tend to focus, I think, more on those things than on spiritual things. In 3 John, the aged apostle prayed for his beloved friend Gaius. And I've loved this prayer ever since I read it. John prayed for his friend Gaius that he would prosper and be in health just like his soul prospered. We certainly give attention to our prosperity situation. We know how much money we've got in the bank and how we're doing financially. We certainly give attention to our physical health. We know when we're sick and basically everything goes on hold until we get better. But when our spiritual lives are impoverished or weak or anemic or sickly, when our soul is suffering, I'm afraid sometimes we get entirely too comfortable with that. It's easy for us, far easier for us to focus. And you see how Jesus turned this around. You see, it's, it's far too easy for us to focus on the sicknesses, on the suffering, on the temporal needs, and ignore the spiritual needs. But Jesus turned all that around. For him, the easy thing, the natural thing, was to focus on what was most needed. Sins forgiven. What was most needed? Spiritual nourishment. Leprosy left people hopeless. Paralysis left them helpless. Both of these things are a picture of what sin does to us. Sin leaves you hopeless. I'll never change. He'll never change. She'll never change. Sin leaves you hopeless. 
Sin leaves you helpless because the power is not within us to overcome sin. No wonder Paul said in Colossians 1.12, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sins. We sang it earlier in our message today, today's Independence Day. We celebrate the birth of our great country, and I don't mind telling you, I'm, I thank God, uh, just like the great uh, Lee Greenwood said, I thank God, I'm proud to be an American. I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm thankful for it. But we prayed, uh, we sang that great song, God shed His grace. America, America, God shed His grace on thee. And I want to say to you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, this America that we love is in desperate need of the grace of God right now. How does that grace work? Well, sin abounds, but grace doth much more abound. How does it operate? It operates one person at a time. Jesus came to save the world, but here Mark tells us a story about two people, both of them. Both of them were struggling in sin. Both of them had their faith in Jesus Christ. Both of them were gloriously saved. Sins forgiven. Bodies healed, yes. I mean, that same promise is made to us. But what America needs is for Americans to get saved. That's what she needs. For America to turn back to God. Americans are going to have to turn back to God. That happens one person at a time. I've said it many times. It's always true. No matter what happens in America, my job description never changes. <laughs> Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what we need the most is for people to have their sins forgiven, to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As more and more and more Americans rebel against God, then we see the consequences of that rebellion on our land everywhere we look. Oh, folk, how our land needs people to be helpers. Helping others. Get to Jesus. Well, what's the alternate plan? There's not one. Go into all the world and make disciples, followers, Jesus said. That's the plan. Oh, how we need to busy ourselves helping people come to Jesus. Let's stand together, please.